Hi, everyone. I'm Maria Gracia Santillana. I'm a reporter here at Forbes on the Digital Assets team. And I'm here today with Nina Bimbisheva, my colleague, um, to talk about the story that we wrote about the myth of decentralization in the crypto industry. So let's start from the bare bones, Nina. What is decentralization? Perfect beginning for this. Uh, I think we really have to go back here to how this trillion dollar industry started with, of course, Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin white paper, where he outlined this idea for a peer-to-peer payment system without the traditional middleman like Mm -hmm. banks or brokers. And it's been 15 years since then. Now we have thousands of decentralized applications on top of multiple blockchains, hundreds of cryptocurrencies. Um, There is all this exciting technology, but at the same time, um, many of these applications don't have uh, mainstream adoption, Mm -hmm. right? And um, especially in the past year, we saw a lot of scandals and bankruptcies within crypto. Mm -hmm. Of course, people will draw the line between the companies that failed and decentralized components of Mm -hmm. it. And I think it adds to the conversation, but also makes it very complicated. So I'm excited to to talk to you about um, you know, all of those components and moving parts. I think the simple answer is that um, I would love to quote um, one of our sources, mm-hmm. and this is something we heard from, I think, multiple people as we were doing this story, decentralization is a means, not an end yeah. in itself. So um, to kind of unwrap it a little bit, it's a way for um, a lot of these projects to build, you know, the new internet, mm-hmm. new financial system. That's at least that's the goal. Yeah, I think it's interesting that point too, right? Of like it's a process, um, and I think the perfect example which we talk about in our story is this decentralized autonomous organization, Aragon, um, which started out, you know, as a couple of founders with the project with the idea of like, hey, pretty lofty goals, honestly. Like we're gonna start. Um, this like decentralized almost court and legal system where you know we'll have our own rules and if something happens this like technology will just answer yes or no Um, and in the last like you know five years since since it was started we've really seen kind of an organization who wanted to build the technology right wanted to build the smart contracts to implement these processes really kind of find and see itself in like the downsides to that right um so what are some of those downsides? What are some of the things that like our sources were like, hey, maybe decentralization isn't so good for this? I think that, um, first of all, it's that um, it's still early. Yeah. Is what you know people in crypto like to say. Um, you can't be decentralized from the start. Mm-hmm. You have to build. And um, a lot of these projects are, are very early on. Mm-hmm. Then we also have regulatory pressure. And that's, of course, um, a big component of this discussion, especially recently yeah. with actions against entities like Wikidao, where um, regulators are trying to go after something that calls itself a decentralized organization um, and they need somebody to appear in court. Mm -hmm. In fact, that case um, ended with a default judgment where none of the members showed up. Um, 
that was uh, credited towards you know CFTC mm -hmm. and they imposed a fine. I'm not sure if they were able to to collect it because n we couldn't yeah. get in touch with any of um, the people at Uki. Um, so here's another part. Um, but also wanted to ask you, I mean, Aragon, you did most of the reporting yeah. um, there. And why do you think that case was so, so important um, to, to go into deeper? Um, is there something that can be said about things that happened at Aragon that will, you know, tell us more about the problems um, with, with DAOs and kind of what, um, what other issues these organizations are having. Yeah, so what's interesting about Aragon is that it really kind of put itself in the market as like the DAO of DAOs, right? It was a project that was gonna build the technology to implement these voting systems within these organizations. Um, and they were pretty big, right? They have over 7,500 customers. Um, all of which hold about 25 billion in treasury. So we're talking about a lot of organizations holding a lot of money in their hands. Um, and so their idea was like, hey, we're gonna create this technology to really allow the voting mechanisms to take place. And so that when I you know, have a token that allows me to vote in a operational decision of the organization, I can do that a little bit like a board of directors in a traditional company um, would kind of allow. But what they really found themselves struggling with is that you know, decentralization is not perfect. <laughs> decentralization is really hard when you need to run a company or organization like day to day, which I think also interesting, right? A lot of these projects, and I'm sure you found this too, right? Like resist calling themselves a company. And so what they did is like once they raised all of their 25 million in funding, when they like launched their token, they put it all in an association. So the Aragon Association was a nonprofit in Switzerland um, that kind of held this treasury. And the ultimate goal was going to be to transfer all this treasury into the hands of the DAO. It's kind of into the hands of the people or the people who were interested in this um, so that they could allocate like, hey, like, you know, we as a group of developers want to do this, like, give this is our budget. This is how much we need. We'll launch it. Um, the difficulty in there in there is that if you have kind of an open market for this token, right, anyone can buy it. And so you have this tension between the token holders that really believed in the mission of Aragon, whatever that was, right? Like, let's create this perfect ideal system of legal legality, which kind of transitioned into like, let's create this really good technology to implement these systems with the people who are seeing the price of the token go up and be like, hey, like this is a financial opportunity for me. And I wanna get in and be able to cash out to maximize my profit. And so you have two competing interests, ones of like, okay, maybe the, the, you know, the, the technology comes out of it, comes at a cost and you're gonna spend a lot of money, so your token's gonna come down. But the other people say like, hey, like I just wanna get my money's mm -hmm. worth out of this. Um, and so you have this tension. And so what Aragon, the association ultimately decided to do unilaterally, right? Like to this point of like, are things truly decentralized? Like in the beginning, not really. There's someone that holds the power. And so the association on November decided to say like, hey, we're gonna dissolve this. We're gonna, you can, you know, here's an allotted amount of money. It was about $190 million. Um, you can cash out take your tokens, convert it into Ether, another cryptocurrency, and essentially leave, like we're gonna regroup, reform, and we're gonna become a traditional company. Which obviously, you know, if you're supposed to be the DAO of DAOs, mm -hmm. you're a, a company and an organization building the technology for other organizations, um, that comes like a big pushback. And there was a lot of pushback from some token holders who were saying like, hey, why did you get to decide this without telling me, right? Like I'm supposed to have a vote in what happens. And so it really becomes this like tension of like, 
the big players involved, some people think it's a scam, a group of um, token holders decided to like allocate about $300,000 of stable coins, USDC, um, to sue the, the association. We are not very sure like what's happening there. You know, we couldn't talk to the, the firm that was gonna sue mm -hmm. and current leadership is not part of the association, so they don't know anything about the suit that's going on. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, you know, to more directly answer your point, it really found itself in this trouble of like, decentralization doesn't work operationally. And then when it doesn't work operationally, um, you really have to become centralized. And that's when, you know, these unilateral decision happens, which is very like antithetical to what this was created to be the ethos and the idea of like the myth, the, the mm -hmm. myth, right, that we call decentralization. Why do you think that like myth of decentralization was so powerful to a lot of people in the crypto industry? Something um, that I discussed with one of the sources, um, she's the founder um, of The Defiant, mm -hmm. um, the publication that covers uh, decentralized finance, Camilla Russo. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, I think a very important thing that um, at some point, whoever is coming into crypto uh, started feeling pressured um, to um, promote that to mm -hmm. say you know we are decentralized that's yeah. how you get attention that's how you get investors um and we all remember how um during the bull market everyone jumped on the web 3 bandwagon yeah. right uh we're building decentralized mm -hmm. internet um so um that's also i think a big a big part of it but um Another thing that she said that was really important, I feel, um, we hear this um, um, phrase decentralization theater. Yeah. That, um, okay, we can agree that um, things are still in the works mm -hmm. and you may not get it 100% from the start, but at least be transparent about it, right? Yeah. With Aragon, for example, and with many other mm -hmm. DAOs and decentralized projects, there's an association or a foundation and mm -hmm. there, there is a DAO and it's not always clear how these entities interact with each other yeah. and who's responsible for what and how the votes um, are distributed and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, I, and I think that reminds me, right, like you talk about an example where a certain VC firm held the majority of the votes for a DAO and how, you know, it's a VC firm and it's a DAO supposed to be decentralized. Talk to me a little bit about what that tension was like. Uh, this is something we didn't end up uh, putting in the story because uh, there is already so much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, um, it also has to be talked about. Um, it's no secret that uh, venture capital investors get tokens um, sometimes for um, the projects that mm -hmm. they invest in. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of them will argue that um, it's typically a small allocation, not mm. more than 3% or 5% um, of the tokens, and um, meaning that you know they don't have a substantial voting power. Yeah. But we saw that these issues do arise and people talk about them. Um, so I think that's also important to, to understand what, what is happening. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, not always very transparent, yeah. right? 
Yeah. And the last thing I, I do want to talk about, we briefly talked about regulation. Um, but I wonder, you know, what is kind of the, the mentality or the push for regulators right now? What seems to be kind of their main view when they look at, you know, all these decentralized projects, DeFi kind of going up in flames and, you know, total volume locked going down? How are they looking at this? Well, first of all, it really varies from jurisdiction to, to jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Some are very crypto friendly yeah. um, in the United States. Mm -hmm. There's been um, a lot more pushback, yeah. especially with, you know, um, kind of the big uh, meltdowns. Um, and uh, crypto industry um, people will you know draw a line between centralized yeah. finance and mm -hmm. decentralized finance saying it's you know the centralized companies that failed but regulators really kind of see it as one industry yeah. still because at the end of the day people you know trade tokens and they take um, cryptocurrencies from mm -hmm. you know Coinbase's and Krakens of the world yeah. to decentralized platforms um, then again there there are DAOs and because it's it's a new technology, um, new kind of types of entities. They're very cautious, mm -hmm. but also, if something happens, ultimately their goal is to protect investors, yeah. and they want to to do that. But it's not often clear, so um, it ends up, you know, with um, a lot of. Um, litigation and um, amicus briefs, yeah. um, which I think um, many will argue hurt the industry, yeah. but at the same time, um, regulators want, want to protect investors. Now, it's a whole different <laughs> yeah, discussion exactly. about what, what they actually want to yeah. do, because there, again, it's also a very, very heated topic, but not to kind of go too deep into it, I will say that um, that there are many there are many moving parts to it. Like for example, you know, open source software mm -hmm. uh, can can regulators um, punish you know founders of open source source software developers if their services are used by bad actors, right? Like Tornado Cash, yeah, um, and. Well, they did. Yeah. <laughs> At least that, that's what they're trying to do. The, those founders are under house arrest, yeah. um, which is obviously a huge issue. Yeah. But again, um, this will all be um, decided in the yeah. coming years. Yeah, it's interesting to see, right, like that push and pull of like regulators wanting to protect investors and them saying like, hey, the laws that we have in place right now are good enough you should conform to that and the industry very much saying like this is new technology right like this doesn't fall into the cases that you've planned for because this is not you know whether it be the beginning of the internet in the 1990s or when a lot of these like laws were made in the early 1900s like adapt a little bit but yeah, yeah. great well thank you for a great discussion of course yeah. always great chatting yeah. with you